0: if I was to ask you, what is your life all about? What is it that, that gets you up in the morning? What's your, your passion uh, to, that, that, that makes worth, uh, life worth living? Uh, I guess if I, if I was to ask, say, Prue Leith, what is life all about? She might say, you know, to me to live is to bake. <laughs> uh, if I was to ask Anton Beck, what, what is life all about? He might say to me to live is to dance. Just nodding in the direction of those who like Strictly and uh, Great British Bake Off. Uh, if I was to ask um, uh, Boris Johnson, what is life all about? He, he may say to me, to live is power. Uh, Arianna Grandy, she may say to me, to live is make to make music. I don't know, ask anyone in the street what life is all about. They would probably come up with with a, a range of things. You know, To live is, is to work, to live is family, to live is... Uh, uh, grandchildren to live is, is golf I, I don't know so, people will have different views um, of course most people won't actually say that will they but if you get a chance to look in their diary and see what takes up most of their time if you get a chance to look at their bank statements, see what they spend their money on if you get a chance to listen in on a conversation and see what they talk about a lot uh, then you might get an idea of what life is all about for them Uh, what is your life all about? If you look in your diary, if you look at your bank statement, if you listen to yourself in conversation. If you got the Apostle Paul's diary out, if if you see how he used his resources, if you uh, listened into his conversations, observed his life, you'd hardly need to read the words that come from his pen in Philippians 1, verse 21. For me to live is Christ. For me to live is Christ. Uh, Paul's passion, his driving force, uh, his greatest love was, was Jesus Christ. Uh, it was Jesus who was right at the center. And it comes through so clearly in this letter to the Philippians. It's why we've called the, the, the series uh, To Live is Christ. Because Christ is right at the center. And for Paul, uh, this Christ-centeredness he had in his own life, he longed for the church in Philippi. He longed that the Christians would have Jesus right at the center of their lives. And of course it's the same focus that God longs for us as Christians and as a church here at Christ Church. That Jesus, uh, today and every day, until we see him face to face, would play center stage, would take center stage in our lives. All those other things of course are good things. Family and dancing and baking and golf and work and, and grandchildren. You know, these are, are wonderful gifts from God, but they're only enhanced, those gifts, when we submit them under the, a love for Jesus, where Jesus takes center stage. Because Jesus is the one we're ultimately designed for, uh, the one our lives uh, in this world are designed to, to have at the center. Uh, We come to these first 11 verses of uh, Philippians chapter 1, let's ask God to speak into our lives, let's ask him to put Jesus front and center, uh, to shape our lives, to find life in all its fullness, to find joy in Jesus. Father, we thank you for this time together, we thank you for the songs we have sung, for the prayers we have prayed, for your spirit has shaped our, our gathering already, we pray now that your spirit would speak into our hearts, give us minds, hearts that are alert and attentive to you, we pray. As we open your word, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, look, there is an awful lot in these, these verses. Uh, we could spend hours in the text. I know you've got to get home for lunch, so we're not going to be hours. Uh, but uh, we get a great insight into the Apostle Paul. And, and I just want to uh, see something of him and his priorities. There are, there are four things. Uh, we'll look at them briefly. Uh, the first thing that I think God is saying to us this morning and we see is, is Paul's heart. And God wants us to know that we are deeply loved in Christ. Do you know, I think the Apostle Paul, he, he gets a bit of a bad press. Uh, you know, he, he is often portrayed, Paul, isn't he, as, as harsh, as misogynist, as hardline. Uh, you know, and those who don't take the Bible very seriously, they try and divide Paul and Jesus they say, Jesus is loving, patient, kind, Paul is hard, nasty, and 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 they try and divide their words. But but I think people who do that have, have not actually read their Bibles because Jesus says some pretty hard, tough things. And Paul is unbelievably gracious and kind, though he says some hard things too. And here we get a glimpse of Paul's heart, and it is one of deep humility and love. Uh, he introduced himself, did you see that along with, with his ministry colleague Timothy as a servant of Christ? He has the authority as an apostle of God. He could have introduced himself as that, but no, he introduced himself as a servant, a slave. That's how he sees himself. And and he's writing, uh, he says, to all God's people, all God's holy people. Uh, He could be a leader just writing to leaders, but no, he's he's writing to everybody because he loves all of God's people. And we get a glimpse into his heart, especially in verses seven and eight. If you've got a Bible, you can look down. If you haven't, they should be coming up on the screen. Paul says this, he says, It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. And whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Paul says, I've got you in my heart uh, do you remember, if you were here last week, it's been at least 10 years since he was in Philippi. Uh, Lydia, the businesswoman, uh, do you remember the, the, the young slave girl now, 10 years older, uh, the jailer in his household, they've been that first church in meeting in Lydia's house. He's not forgotten them. It might have felt like that for them because he hadn't been able to visit. But, but he, he said, God can testify, you are in my heart, I love you uh, with the affection of Christ Jesus, but he's saying my heart is like Christ's heart and Christ's affection is for you, uh, the love that Christ has for you. He says you shared in his grace, we've shared together in his grace. What is grace? Well you know, don't you, it's the undeserved, unmerited love of God poured out into their lives. We've shared in this grace found in Jesus. Paul's heart reflects God's heart for the church. And just as it was true in first century Philippi, will say so it's true in 21st century Surbiton. God's heart is for his church. He loves us with an infinite and eternal love in Christ. So if you're here this morning, you've, you've come to Jesus, you've put your faith and trust in him. If you're a Christian today, God wants you to know deep in your heart that you are loved with the affection of Christ. You are loved so deeply Christ gave his life for you a love that forgives, a love that washes away shame, a love that meets us in our sadness, a love that sustains us in our suffering. Paul wants the church to know that they were loved by him and as an apostle and by Jesus Christ. And God wants us to know that too this morning. So we get, we get a little glimpse into Paul's heart here, his longing, his love. Uh, and then we get to see Paul's joy, and, and I put it here know that our unity, our fellowship is in the gospel. So, this letter, as is, is, um, Neil introduced this morning, is this book of joy. It's been described as the Epistle of Joy 14 times in this letter. Uh, joy and rejoicing is, is found. It, it, it exudes joy. It, and, of course, that's made all the more remarkable by the fact that Paul, as we discovered last week, is imprisoned. He's under house arrest. He's uncertain as whether he's going to be executed in the coming days. Uh, and yet, he is full of joy. And what is it that brings Paul joy? Well, uh, he tells us in, in verse 4 and 5, it'll be up on the screen. He says, in, in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Why? Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Paul's joy is rooted in their partnership in the gospel. What does that mean? Well, partnership is translated from the Greek word, it would be familiar to many of you, uh, the Greek word uh, koinonia. If you just pop that screen, it'll just be up, come up on the screen, if you click one more time. Uh, that literally means to have something in common. And, uh, but of course, in the Christian context, it means much more than you know, just two cyclists who like cycling or birdwatchers who like birdwatching, although technically that's koinonia. But, but the Christian context, this, he speaks of it, this, this koinonia is in the gospel. That is, is in the, the good news about Jesus. Their fellowship is in the good news about Jesus. Their unity is in the wonderful truth about Jesus. His perfect life, his sacrificial death, his bodily resurrection, his sending of his spirit, his glorious return, the truth of the gospel, their fellowship, their unity is in Jesus and in the truth about Jesus, in, in their, the, these truths and the experience of knowing him. That's what brings real unity and that's what brings joy to, to Paul when he sees his Christians living in unity in the gospel. And I think he has in mind not just that they believe and have experienced Jesus in the, the truths of the gospel, but that they are committed to, to making the gospel known. They're committed to, to, to living out and seeing that gospel grow and spread in their own vicinity and through Paul to the ends of the earth. And Paul is thrilled that this Christian, uh, the Philippian Christians have been partners with him in the gospel from the first day remember 10 years earlier when Lydia, the businesswoman, was, was converted and baptized at the riverside? She said, oh, come back to our house and stay at my house. And, and Paul went to stay so that the gospel could continue to go out and the church met in her house. Right from the first day, she was a partner in the gospel. And then Paul is writing partly because he's wanting to thank them for a gift, a financial gift that they've sent to him. So they're continuing this partnership in the gospel. They're, they're continuing to, to support ministry. And, and so he's saying from the first to the last you have been partners in God's purposes to get the good news to the ends of the earth. And it is this commitment to the gospel that brings joy and which is the ground for true unity and koinonia in the church. You know, God loves unity in the church and, and we hear a lot of talk about unity and it's, and it's right and it's good To talk about unity, but often the talk is sometimes about kind of institutional unity. You know, we hear stories about the sort of how the Church of England and the Methodist Church having talks to try and be united. Or or there are talks about holding the Anglican Church together. And of course, we want to do that, but but God is clear in in His Word that the only true ground of unity is the gospel. It's the good news of Jesus Christ, it's the truth about Jesus, is what will hold us together. Together, and we share this fundamental commitment uh, uh, to the truth revealed in the scripture. That is where true koinonia, true, true unity, true fellowship is found. As so we commit ourselves to, to knowing Jesus more and more, making him known in the world, partners in the gospel. So it brings joy to the apostles' hearts and it brings joy to the very heart of God. So may that be our unity. Are We committed to the gospel to the good news of Jesus? Uh, is it that, that will shape us as Christ church uh, uh, now and in the future, just as it has been in the past? That's certainly my prayer for us as a, as a church, that our unity will be in the gospel, we'll be partners together uh, in, in making Jesus known. So we've seen Paul's heart, uh, we've seen a bit of Paul's joy, being reminded that we are deeply loved by God uh, that we will bring joy to his heart when we reign united in the truth, in the gospel. And you might say, well, John, you know, I am a Christian, I'm trying to live for Jesus, I'm trusting him, but it's hard, it's hard to stay close to Jesus, to live for Jesus in a tough world, in a culture that is moving fast away from, from, from the gospel, from the, from the truth of the Bible. It's difficult. Uh, I, 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 we feel the pressure every day to to keep our head down, to conform, uh, to, to to stay quiet. I don't even know if I'm going to make it myself because I feel the pressures. You know, I live in a home where there's no other Christians, just me. I'm in a class at school. I'm in a in a workplace where there's, there's almost no other Christians. I, am I going to make it? It's, it's hard. They're valid questions, those. And if you feel some of those pressures, well, you're not on your own. Uh, wonderfully here in this passage, we see Paul's confidence. And we can know that we are secure in Christ. There it is, verse uh, f- 5. He says, I'm always praying with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, he carries on that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. You know, this is one of my favorite verses in all of the, the Bible. It's what I call the mastermind verse. You'll get it when you, you know, if, you, if you know the show. The beeper goes beep, 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 and, and whoever's presenting the chair, it was Mar- Magnus Magnuson when I was growing up, uh, you know, begins and says, uh, I've started so I'll finish. We'll come to John Newton in a minute. Uh, Uh, well, Paul's confidence rests in hearing these same words, I've started so I'll finish, uh, but hearing them from the very mouth of God. If God begins a good work in you, then he will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. He's not a cowboy builder. When God starts something, he doesn't leave it halfway through and, and, and go on to something else. No, no, God is faithful. We've sung it, he will hold me fast. And he alluded to John 6. Jesus said in John 10 of those who follow him, my father who's given uh, them to me, he's greater than all and no one can snatch them from my father's hand. If you're in your father's hand, if you come to put your trust in Jesus, then then you are secure in him. It's great security for the Christian in in a difficult, challenging, dangerous, hard pilgrimage through this world. You know, one of my favorite all-time books is, is The Pilgrim's Progress. If you've not read it yet, get hold of a copy and, 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 and read it. If you have, uh, get it off your shelf and read it again. It is a brilliant book. Um, it's dramatic, it's moving, it's a brilliant allegory of the Christian life. This journey through the Christian life as, as Christian makes his way over mountaintops and through valleys As he encounters enemies, as he faces temptation, as he escapes from dungeons, uh, with traveling companions along the way. There are hurdles and obstacles, and it's tough and it's hard. It's a story of relentless perseverance, but throughout there's a confidence that he's going to reach his destination, because God has got him. This is Paul's confidence he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. You know, Paul always has the day of Christ Jesus in his mind. He speaks of it in, again in verse 10. It's a big theme in chapter 3 as we'll get to. Uh, history is, is just heading in one direction. Uh, you know, a day has been set when Christ will return. When history will end as we know it. When uh, all will be called to account as the the judgment seat of God. The the Bible is so clear about that, Jesus was so clear about that, the day is set, the day is coming, all will stand before God, there will be separation. Those who've ignored God and pushed him out of their lives, who've lived as though he didn't exist until the day they, they die, will be separated from God for eternity and from his goodness in what Jesus called hell. And those who've humbled their heart and recognized God and acknowledged him and and, and bowed the knee to Jesus and received forgiveness will be welcomed into a glorious new creation for all eternity. That is the day of Christ Jesus. The day is set when Jesus will come and judgment will take place. And Paul wants everybody to be ready for that day. And he says, uh, uh, as we trust Christ, God h- gets hold of you and he makes you ready and he'll keep you secure. And we need to keep reminding ourselves that this day is coming because we're so secular aren't we, and, and materialist in our mindset. We so quickly turn to, to, to things of this world and, and we need to keep remembering and lifting our gaze to know that, that Jesus is coming back. We had a wonderful old saint in, our, in a previous church called Joy. She was called Joy, actually. And she was joyful by nature. It was, it was, she was wonderful. And, and, um, but she used to tell a story about how when she was growing up as a young girl, her father would come into the uh, bedroom every morning. And he'd come into the bedroom and he'd, he'd open the curtains of her, of her bedroom and would look out and say, I wonder if Jesus will come back today. I wonder if Jesus will come back today. Every day she did that. Open, open the curtains. I wonder if today is the day. It was a brilliant way to start the morning, she says. She's always, from that moment on, uh, had Jesus' coming, the day of Christ Jesus in her heart. And we need to do that. Maybe maybe you need to do that every time you open your curtains or your blinds or, or get up in the morning. or Let's keep lifting our gaze because we get locked into this world. And, and Paul, in this letter and throughout the New Testament, keeps push forward, keep looking, because Jesus is coming. And there's hazards along the way. It's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. It was for the Philippian Christians. I mean, the neuronic persecution. You know, Emperor Nero was just beginning in Rome. They knew they were going to face some persecution. It was just starting. There were false teachers getting into the church. Uh, they knew they were going to face distraction from false teaching. Uh, we'll find out there was some disagreement going on in the fellowship. All these things are continuing today, of course, aren't they? We, we're beginning to face more opposition as a church. In our country, we, we know there's false teaching within the Christian church. We know that disagreements happen within the life of the church. There'll be things that distract us and, and move us away from, from keeping going with Christ until the day of Christ. But, but Paul says here, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Or as John Newton said in his wonderful hymn, Through many dangers, toils and snares, I have already come. Your grace has brought me safe thus far. And your grace will lead me home. Oh, there's great security in God's grace in Christ. We've seen Paul's heart of love, his joy in the gospel, his confidence in God keeping us until the day of Christ. We have not really got time for this last section, sadly. Uh, Very briefly, because this is a wonderful prayer, so do reread this prayer and and, and pray it for yourself. Well, here it is, um, verse nine, and this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Well, there's loads in this prayer. Um, Very brief two things. Firstly, it it makes it clear that as we await the day of Christ, as we travel towards that day of Christ, uh, we don't wait passively. we, We are gospel partners, so we're active in the gospel. And there'll be one thing above all else that marks the church, in this journey to heaven, in this time until we we meet Jesus face to face. There'll be one thing, and that one thing, of course, is love. Paul has already spoken of his love for them. He's reminded them of Christ's love for them, that they are deeply loved. And now he says, this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more. It's a great word, abound. Isn't it? Love abounds. It just keeps going. It's overflowing. This loving, abounding more and more. See, love is what matters most. It's the mark of the church. you know well haven't you 1 Corinthians 13, between 12 and 14, and Paul is saying, you know, you can have all sorts of gifts and power and revelation. You can have an incredibly dynamic church, but if you don't have love, then you're nothing at all. It's just hot air. So we've got to be praying, haven't we, for love to grow, to abound more and more in the life of the church. Pray that for yourself. Pray that for each other. Pray that for us uh, as a church. May our love abound. But then there's just a, a second thing, and it must be a love that is shaped by truth. That's so what he prays for, doesn't he? Pray that, he's, that, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, knowledge of God, insight into God's truth. You know, love without truth is just sentimentality. Love without truth is it's not genuine biblical love. Real love is shaped by, by God's revelation. So if somebody is going astray, taking, going away from, from God's word, you, you, we don't just sort of say, well, I don't make judgments. You know, I, I just love them. Of course, we love people as they are, but if you love someone genuinely, we will gently draw people back to the truth. Of course, it's true that God loves us as we are, but He never leaves us there. God loves us and accepts us as we are, but He never leaves us there. He loves us much more than that. He loves us enough to, to want to transform us into the likeness of Jesus, to make us like His Son. So may our biblically informed love abound more and more in the church. Let's let's make that our prayer. And as it does, uh, it'll lead to Jesus finding us pure and blameless. We'll change in our characters when he comes. It'll lead to godly, fruitful lives. Uh, It'll lead to the glory and praise of God as Paul ends his prayer here. Let's be, be praying. For that, there's there's much here in this passage, in this chapter, in this these verses. Do uh, re-read them. Uh, But he may have something very specific to say for you uh, from these different areas we've looked at. As the the band comes up, um, let's just pause for a moment. We just ask the Spirit to seal on your heart what he is saying to you today. His word. Maybe he, maybe you need to know that you are deeply loved by Christ today. Maybe you need to be challenged over your commitment to the gospel, to that unity which brings God such joy as we united in the gospel. I wonder, are you longing for that day of Christ? You expecting Him to come? Do you need that confidence that God's got you? He's going to keep you because you are secure in Him today or maybe you're here today and you haven't yet started with Christ. Today would be a great day to do that. Jesus is here by his spirit. Uh, He's just waiting for you to invite him. Or maybe God simply wants you to pray for love to abound in your life and in this place. Well, let's just have a, a few moments as Emma plays quietly. Let's respond in our hearts before God and then we'll respond together in, in song. If there's anything you want to talk or pray about that God has been stirring in you, well, do grab me or a kneel afterwards. Maybe just someone sitting near you could pray with. Just a moment of responding in our hearts. And then the band will lead us to respond together in song.